Okay, we are in chapter 26 of the Confession, and we'll do paragraphs 11, 12, and 13 today. These are all pretty short. So chapter 26, which is on page 52, page 52, and let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll begin our study. Father, we thank you again for the time to be together this afternoon, and Lord, to continue to study your word. And Lord, as we uh, look at these passages concerning the nature of the church, Lord, how it is that we are to assemble together and what we are to do, Lord, we pray that you would, um, Lord, cause our church to be established on the truth, Lord, on those things that are good and right and pleasing in your sight, uh, and that, Lord, we would be a truly biblical church, Lord, one that is formed into the image of Christ, Lord, one that is pleasing to you in all that we do. So, Father, we pray that you would establish us and cause us to walk in your ways. And, Lord, help us to understand what is good and right in your sight. And it is in Christ in that we pray. Amen. Okay, chapter 26, and we are on paragraph number 11. And I'll tell you again, though there's been a few places here and there in the confession where either there's confusion, I don't really know what they're talking about, or we may just disagree with them here or there. This is another one of those uh, paragraphs. So I don't know exactly what they're talking about, but we'll look at the passages. They don't, the passages are clear, but the passages don't really support what they're talking about. So I don't know what, what they mean by this. So anyway, that's that. Okay, paragraph 11 says, although overseers or pastors of churches must be engaged in preaching the word as a function of their office, Yet the work of preaching the word is not totally restricted to them. Others who are also gifted and prepared by the Holy Spirit for it and approved and called by the church may and should preach. So here, the first sentence I certainly agree with that it is the duty of all Christians to be teaching the word of God, proclaiming the word of God to one another. This is a part of our gathering together, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, that we are to be together and encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we are to be talking about the Word of God, uh, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, teaching one another in these ways, right? But this is a part of the day in and day out function of the church, something that is to be true of all of us. And then when we go out from here and we're out in the world, whether it's the places we work, with our family, it's not just the minister, just the pastor who is to come and to preach the gospel to those who are lost. So if you have children that are unbelievers, if you have co-workers that are unbelievers, and the opportunity arises to speak to them about the word of God, to teach them what the Bible says, then is everyone supposed to do that? Yes, of course. It's not just for the minister or the pastor or the overseer to be the one proclaiming these truths. Now, in terms of the gathering of the congregation, when we meet together for worship, for Bible study in this public way, then it is the overseers or the elders who are to get up and explain the Bible, to teach the Bible in that way, and they have been appointed to that task and called and set apart for it. So, yes, in one sense, it is the overseer or the elders' duty and responsibility to be the one that's publicly teaching the Word of God, but the reason they're doing that is to equip the saints 
for the work of ministry so that you can go out from here and then in your day-to-day conversations, wherever you find yourself, talk about the things of God with confidence, with clarity, with conviction, so that you yourself know what you believe, and then you're able to talk to other people as well. And certainly that's true for all Christians, right? For all Christians. But here, where I don't know what they're talking about here, is they're not talking about it in just this informal, uh, common, everyday way. They're talking about it as a group of people who are not elders, but who are set apart by the church in some way to be public teachers of the Bible. And that's why I don't know what they're, what they're talking about here. Because if someone is gifted and qualified with the ability to teach, and we're not talking about someone who's being tested or who's being tried, right? Because there they say in the second sentence, those gifted and prepared by the Holy Spirit and approved and called by the church. So they're being set apart in some way by the church, but they're not overseers or elders. So what are they then? And where does the Bible teach that there's a subset of teachers who are not elders or overseers who are set apart in this formal way by the church and given to the preaching of the word of God in this way? So yes, it is true that we should all be teaching in our everyday life in our conversations and what we're doing, but I don't see justification in the Bible for setting apart a group of people who are not elders or overseers for this work of preaching in this formal way. If they have the character and if they have the ability to teach, then they should just be made elders, right? That's, that's the, what should be done, right? But not this subset in that way. Does that make sense? So that's where the confusion is for me. I don't know what they're talking about here or what it is that they're getting at, right? What they're, what they're promoting uh, other than that there might be those who are going to other areas. I don't know if they're talking about missionaries that they're sending to other areas to establish other churches. But again, I think the best way to do that, if the church is going to send out a missionary to go and preach the gospel in that way. Well, if he's going to do that, then he should be qualified to be an elder at the church. And he should be appointed to that position and then sent out to go and establish a church somewhere else. But just call him an elder or an overseer in that way and not uh, this other class of minister or whatever it is that they're talking about. Consequently, to go along with this, at a church I was at at one time, they had a subset of deacons as well. They had deacons, and then they had this other group that they called yoke fellows, yoke fellows, which is in 3 Corinthians. If, if you haven't seen, I'm just kidding, it's not really, so it's not in the Bible. But the reason they had yoke fellows is because there were men in the church that they wanted to make deacons, but who were divorced, so they couldn't be deacons, so they made them yoke fellows so that they could function as deacons without being deacons. It's like, I think... I think you're trying to find a loophole where there is none. Okay, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Now, again, the question here is, when this is taking place in Acts chapter 11, was there any type of formal setting apart uh, by the church? Or is this just them going out, and as they are being scattered about because of persecution, wherever they go, they're talking about the Word of God. They're talking about the Bible, and wherever they have the opportunity to talk to people and preach the gospel, this is what they're doing. Acts chapter 11, 
verse 19. It says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks and also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So here, the way I'm reading this is that as the church is being scattered because of the persecution that arose in regards to Stephen, well, as these Christians are being scattered and are going out to these other cities, when they get there, what are they doing? They're preaching Christ, right? They're preaching Christ, not because they've been appointed to some position in the church, but because this is what Christians are supposed to do, right? This is what believers are supposed to do. So they're going out and doing that. And that's what we should be doing as well. And that shouldn't just be restricted to the pastors, to the elders. This should be true of everyone, everyone in the church, though certainly the pastors should be leading, should be the example for other people to follow as well. Then 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here, again, the context is not, it's not talking about an office. It's talking about gifts, gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to his will, according to his will. And when he gives a gift, it does not mean that that person is appointed to some office or to some position, but rather that they have a proclivity to this particular gift. There are some who have the ability to explain the Bible, to teach the Bible. Now, in some cases, those who have that gift will be set aside and will become elders and receive that office in the church. But that doesn't mean that no one else is to talk about the Bible. We're all to be doing that all the time. Also, the gift of service. There are some who will be set aside to the office of deacon and who will serve in that capacity. But are the deacons the only ones who are called to serve in the church? Of course not. Though some will have a greater proclivity toward that, some will, have a, will excel in those things, it doesn't mean that no one else is to do it. This would be the same as Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Romans 12, 6 says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, is service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So here the gifts that are mentioned are prophecy, 
service, teaching, exhortation, giving, uh, leading, and showing mercy. And the Spirit gives gifts to each one according to His will. And not everyone has the same gift. But that doesn't mean that the one who has the gift is expected to be the only one in the church that performs that function. It just means that the one who has the gift has a greater propensity toward that. He excels or she excels in this area. And so they excel in these ways. And in that way, they serve as an example for everyone else to follow. For example, is it only those who have the gift of giving who are to contribute to the finances of the church? They're the only ones that have to. And if we don't have that gift, then we don't have a responsibility to give to meet the needs of the church. Of course not. Is it only those who have the gift of mercy who are to show mercy to people who are in need? No, we're all to be doing this, but there are those people in the church who have a greater awareness of these things. It's on their mind all the time. They excel in these things, and so they provide an example for all of us to follow. In the same way, it is the responsibility of all of us to teach the Bible, right, to whoever we have the opportunity to do it. But that doesn't mean that we appoint people to positions as the director of teaching or make them this position, which I don't even know what position they're talking about because it's obvious it's not an elder, but then it's being set apart for something. So I think the best way to describe what, well, the, the best way to understand what they're describing, the biblical way is there are there is the office of elder or preacher or pastor, whatever you want to call it, and those who are gifted by the Spirit, who are proven and tested over a course of time, who have the ability to teach, should be set aside in a formal way by the church to possess that office of, uh, of a preacher or of a pastor, an elder, an overseer, shepherd, whatever you want to call it. But then it is also the responsibility of all of us to be doing those things as we have the opportunity right here in, in, in our families, in our workplaces, in whatever conversations we have, but that doesn't necessitate setting people aside for that task. And then if there is someone who is showing the propensity toward that, who is younger, but who has the desire to be an elder, who also shows that they have some of the giftings that are necessary to be an elder, then they should be tested and tried. During that time, of course, they're gonna be given opportunities to teach, to preach, to exercise. How are we going to know if they have the ability to teach if there's never given an opportunity to teach? So that opportunity must be given, but they're not set aside until they've been properly tested and trained. Then they are set aside and they're made an elder or an overseer. Okay, does that make sense? So that's, I think, the better way to make sense of what it is that they're talking about there. Okay, number 12. Number 12. All believers are obligated to join themselves to local churches when and where they have the opportunity. Likewise, all who are admitted to the privileges of a church are also subject to the discipline and government of it according to the rule of Christ. So all believers are obligated. Notice that, obligated. So it's not optional. It's not, well, you can do it if you want, but you don't have to. Obligated to join themselves to local churches. And by joining, that means that they become a part of that church, that they are members of that church, right? And that they are fulfilling the responsibilities of what it means to be a church member, right? And we should all be faithful in that way. So whenever there is the opportunity, 
we are to join ourselves to local churches, okay? So there's no Lone Ranger Christianity where it's just me and God out there doing my own thing and I don't need anyone else. That is not the way we are to live the Christian life. And it is impossible to love God without loving his people. The way we show our love for God is by loving his word and by loving his people. And where can we do both of those things simultaneously? Right here, when we gather together with the church. Because what are we doing when we gather together? We're gathering to study the word of Christ, to love the word of God. And then when we're together, we're also with one another. And we're going to be talking to each other and sharing what's going on in our lives. And we're able to know what's going on and be able to care and provide uh, for each other and love one another as the occasion arises. So we are to join ourselves to local churches. And then all who are admitted to the privileges of a church, right? So a person has to be admitted, right? They don't just come in and declare themselves. To be admitted means that there has to be some standard, some criteria that the church has by which it tests, it investigates, it gets to know the person to determine whether or not they should be admitted into the church because there are those people that we don't want admitted into the church. So they have to be admitted, right? Which is contrary to what happens in most churches. The church I grew up in, somebody could show up on a Sunday from, they could be from Mars and show up on a Sunday, walk down to the front and want to join the church and they join them up right there, right? On the spot, they would make them members of the church without having any knowledge of this person, uh, their background or what is going on in their life. We shouldn't be doing that. So we need to get to know people and they need to get to know us, right? Just like when you uh, marry someone, you get to know them, they get to know you, you find out if you're agreeable, right? If you're agreeable and then after that, you join together. And so it should be in the church as well. But the church is the one that has the, it is our duty to guard the church. So we have the keys or we have the guard on the front door and we keep the door shut. And whenever someone is proven and tested, then we open the door and we admit them into the church. Okay. And that's what needs to happen. The churches need to close the front doors and open the back doors, okay? Open the back doors to throw the riffraff out and close the front door to make it much more difficult for people to be admitted into fellowship with the church, right? Because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world and there are false brothers in the world and we want to make sure that those people are of us, that they are like us and that's why we take the Low, the low and slow approach. <clears throat> this is just like when we're smoking meats. Low and slow is the way to go, okay? You take your time. Take your time and get to know people, and then you admit them into the church, okay? But once a person is admitted into the privilege of a church, it's a privilege to be a member of a local church, right? A privilege to have that. Then also that person is now subject to the discipline and government of the church, through the rule of Christ. Whenever the person joins the church, then they are coming under the authority of the church and they are now subjected to the discipline of the church and the authority. So if that person begins to live a sinful life and then the church comes to them and confronts them in their sin, 
They can't say, hey, I didn't sign up for this. No, when you join the church, that's what you're signing up for. You are signing up that you are a part of the church. That opens up to you the privileges of the church, the love, the care, the fellowship of the church, but also the responsibilities, right? You have to pull your weight. You can't be a leech, a mooch in the church, right? There are spiritual leeches, so we don't need that, right? The leech has two daughters. Give, give. This is what many people are. They're spiritual leeches, so we don't want leeches around. Also, they need to pull their weight in terms of we all have a building to meet in. We all enjoy the air conditioning. Everyone is enjoying the electricity, right? There's certain things that need to take place. So everyone needs to contribute as they are able to according to their means. And then also they're subject to the government of the church. So if there is sin or whatever's going on, then they are subjecting themselves to that. And if it needs to be addressed, then it needs to be addressed and they can't say that I am exempt from these things. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians 5. And we'll pick up in verse 22. First Thessalonians 5 verse 12. Verse 12, sorry. It says there, but we request, we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil for evil but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every form of evil. So there in verse 14, he says, We urge you, brethren, to admonish the unruly, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Now, who is this for? He doesn't just say, we urge you elders or pastors, but we urge you who? Brethren, right? Brethren, the whole church is supposed to do this. Certainly, the elders will play an important role in this. They'll be the ones that are leading in this, but the expectation is that everyone is doing this. So if there is an unruly person among us, Whose responsibility is it to admonish them? It's everyone's. If there's someone who is faint-hearted, we all need to encourage them. If someone is weak, we all need to help them, and we need to exercise patience with one another. Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we'll pick up in verse 6. 3 verse 6 it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you've received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But we, with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. 
not because we did not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So there, in verse 6, he's commanding you, brethren. Again, it's for the whole church again. To keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, not according to the tradition which you receive from us. There, if it's a brother, this would be a so-called brother. Someone that we assumed was a brother, we received as a brother, but now he's living an unruly life, and now we don't know whether or not he's a brother or not. But there is some doubt because of his unruly life, and he's not repenting of his unruly life. So what are they supposed to do? Keep away from him. Don't have anything to do with him. That would be under church discipline. This would be after the procedure of Matthew chapter 18 verses 15 through 20. After that procedure, then you keep away from them. You don't have anything to do with them. And then in verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. So if someone is not obedient to Christ, take note of them, special note. So they have to be singled out, right? How can you take note of someone without knowing who we're talking about? That means we have to speak with specificity about the person and about the sin. We have to name the name so that everyone knows who we're talking about and then not associate with that person. That would be to treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. But what is the purpose for this? Not to regard him as an enemy, but to admonish him as a brother. The ultimate goal is their repentance and their restoration, right? But sometimes it takes tough love. It takes tough love in the church. When it comes to that point, we have to deal with them in a severe manner, but the ultimate goal is for their repentance, that they would be repentant and be restored into the fellowship of the church. Okay, number 13, paragraph 13. Church members who have been offended and have performed their duty concerning the person by which they are offended, should not disrupt any church action or, or uh, absent themselves from the assemblies of the church or administration of any ordinance because of the offense at any of their fellow members. Instead, they should look to Christ in the further action of the church. Here, I believe what they're talking about here is whenever... Again, there is talking about the person who has been offended. And we're assuming that this is a legitimate offense. That's the assumption of the paragraph here. If it's not a legitimate offense, then the person is themselves in sin. But in this case, the person who has been offended. So someone has sinned against them, against this person. They've performed their duty concerning the person which offended them. Meaning... They went to the person between 
the two of them alone, they confronted the sin, and the person did not repent. And then they went with two or three, and then the church has got involved as well. Okay, well, when all of this is taking place, it, it's not going to resolve itself overnight. All right, this takes time. Right? It's going to be a period of time in which this is taking place. And what will be the temptation of the offended party when all of this is taking place? They're going to want to withdraw. To say, well, we're just going to stay at home this week because it's too hard to go there, to have to deal with this. It's a, it's a great burden. I feel uncomfortable. We don't, you know, it's just awkward. This is what people do. And then they're going to want to withdraw, stay at home, and be absent from the assembly, not attend to the worship of God, to the public assembly, right? To the ordinances, the taking of the Lord's Supper and the witnessing of the baptisms. This is what people are prone to do. Typically, when there's conflict or controversy, people want to withdraw, they, get, they become aloof, they want to distance themselves, and they want, to stay, they want to stay away. And they're saying we shouldn't do that. And they're right, we shouldn't do that, right? Even though... It's awkward, even though it can be difficult and hard. What do we have to do? We have to be faithful to God. Are we supposed to obey God when it's easy only? Of course not. There are times when it's not easy, when we just have to do what's right in the sight of God and deal with whatever awkwardness there is. We have to show up and do our duty before God because we have to obey God. We have to please God, even if it means that I'm going to feel uncomfortable. Because aren't we supposed to love God more than we love ourselves? Right? Don't we have to hate our own life in order to be a disciple of Christ? So we have to overcome whatever keeps us from doing the will of God. And there's no legitimate excuse. No legitimate excuse that would keep us from doing our responsibility. We cannot be faithful to God and neglect the public assembly, the gathering of the saints. Right? And again, we're not talking about a church that isn't going to deal with it. That's just sweeping it under the rug. That's a different story altogether, right? We're talking about one who is doing what needs to be done, but it's going to take time. It's going to take time and diligence for it to come to its resolution. And during that time, we just have to uh, deal with it, show up, be faithful, and do what we're supposed to do, right? And that's why they say, they should look to Christ in the further action of the church, right? The church isn't slack. The church isn't neglecting. The church is going to do what it's supposed to do. But again, it's going to take time, and they just have to wait patiently and trust the elders and the leadership that they're doing what they need to be doing and then be diligent and be patient and wait for it to resolve itself in the biblical manner. Matthew 18. Matthew 18. We've read this passage several times. But we'll read it again. Matthew 18, verse 15. 18, 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take two or three more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. So there, again, this process is not something that's going to be resolved in a day or an hour. It's, it's going to take days or weeks or maybe even months for it to run its course and to come to its conclusion. 
And during that period of time, you've been offended and you've not had, uh, the, the offense is still out there. The, the sin is still there and it's not been dealt with. And so we just have to be faithful, do what we're supposed to do while we wait for the process to run its course. Right? That's what they're saying there. And not neglect the assembly because there might be this awkwardness and this person who offended me, they may be there and I'm going to have to face them or, and, and we're going to have to see them and I don't want to see them. No, we just have to do what's right in the sight of God. Ephesians chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there we have to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So to preserve the unity of the church. Now again, it doesn't mean to overlook sin, to sweep sin under the rug. It doesn't mean to be superficial in the way that we behave and treat other people. But ultimately, we're striving for the unity of the church, and we're not going to do anything to disrupt that unintentionally or in, well, intentionally in a way uh, that is uh, hostile and in a way that is unbiblical. So deal with what needs to be dealt with, and then while it's being dealt with, be faithful, continue to do your duty toward the church, show up, uh, worship God, and wait patiently for everything to resolve itself in the course of time as it is being done by the action of the church and look to Christ during those times. Okay, so we'll stop there for today, and then we'll finish this chapter next week. So let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for, again, for your word that you've given to us, Lord, that teaches us and instructs us, Lord, in everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, we thank you for the church, Lord, that you have made us a part of, that when you have saved us, Lord, you did not leave us by ourselves, but Lord, you have united us to a body, to the body of Christ, Lord, to an assembly, a congregation of saints, Lord, where we are to live out the Christian life in this world together, Lord, by loving one another, Lord, in caring and helping one another. And so, Father, we pray that we would not take our church membership and our responsibilities to the church lightly, but that we would see that this is a very grave responsibility, that, Lord, it is a great privilege and a great responsibility to be the member of a local church and, Lord, to be a member of a biblical church, and that, Lord, we would take that very seriously. Lord, as well, we pray that you would protect and preserve the purity of this congregation. Lord, that you would keep those that would want to come in and spy out our freedom in Christ. Lord, those that would want to come in and, Lord, disrupt the fellowship. Lord, that you would keep them at bay. Lord, we know that uh, there's always going to be sin, either the sin that we bring in with us that comes from our flesh, or Lord, those uh, deceitful workmen of Satan, Lord, who seek to come in 
and to disrupt the fellowship of the church. Lord, we pray that you would protect us from these things, that, Lord, we would do all that we can to preserve the integrity and the purity of the church, and that each of us, Lord, would be faithful to fulfill our responsibilities to one another, Lord, to be diligent to use our spiritual gifts, Lord, for the benefit of the body, for the building up of the body, until we all reach maturity in Christ. Lord, if there is sin that is committed, if there are offenses, Lord, we pray that it would be dealt with in a biblical way, and that, Lord, we would be patient and humble, Lord, in our dealing with these things, and that we would look to you, and that, Lord, you would rectify these things in a proper way. Lord, we pray that you give us safety as we travel home today. Lord, may we continue to worship you throughout this Lord's Day. And Lord, we ask that you bring us back together Wednesday to study your word again. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.